Look inward. Look up. Look around. Look inward. Look what he says. Number one, look up. In the midst of your distress, trials, tribulations, difficulty, and the end of the world, look up. Look what he says in verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. He's describing both the end of the world and the current end of Jerusalem during his day. He's viewing both. We saw that last week. He says there are going to be signs in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the desolation of the tribulation period, the great judgments that are going to fall upon mankind during that time. If you study the book of Revelation in detail, it'll tell you about plagues, terrible plagues, not seen since the days of Israel leaving Egypt. You'll see plagues like the darkening of the sun, where the sun itself will be a third less bright than it's ever been before. It talks about the stars of the heaven falling to the earth. And just like when you say, I saw a shooting star, you know it's not an actual star, but a comet or a meteor going through the atmosphere. And in the book of Revelation, it says that a star from heaven called Wormwood will not just pass through our atmosphere, but will come to the planet itself, and we will see desolation and death because of it. When you watch a movie about the end of the world and you see these great troubled times about weather changing and about the stars falling, about the sun not shining, about plagues that people don't understand and viruses that, ro- that go around the world, you have to understand where the base of all of these people's ideas come from. They come from the scripture. What they're doing is they're in a modern way trying to reinterpret truths that Jesus gave thousands of years ago about what the end of the world will actually, what actually will be like. And he says the earth will be in distress of nations. The nations of the earth will be fighting against each other with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. He said the nations of the world will be like waves crashing against each other frothing and fomentation all over the place. The whole world will be like a big swirling cyclone in the midst of the sea. Men's hearts, verse 26, failing them because of fear and expectation of those things which are coming to the earth. Notice what he says. In this last day, the men of the world will be fearful and they will be absolutely terrified by what they're watching take place in the earth. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. They're, they're, the, the, the sky itself is, is, as it were, as if it were falling, verse 27. Then they will see, then they will see. Notice the word see. Look at verse 27. Then they will see. What will they see? What does it say? Then they will see what? The Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Then they will see the descendant of David, the descendant of Adam, the son of Adam, coming to claim the throne, the son of Adam. He is coming in the clouds, the Bible says. The son of man will be coming in the cloud with power and glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. He says, when you begin to see the world falling apart, there is one thing you should do, and that's not look down, look up. 
It's amazing to me how we as Christians have a propensity to see what's going on around the world and all we can do is look down in discouragement and despair when he says quite the opposite. Look up and see Jesus coming. The signs of the second coming will bring terror to the lost. But they will bring comfort to the saved. Let me say that again. The signs of the second coming. When you see the world falling apart, when you see your world falling apart, they will bring terror to the unbeliever. They will bring comfort to you. Why? Because you know this means he's coming again. So do not be distressed. Do not be worried. Why? Because it's all a matter of perspective. Police are interesting, aren't they? If you're a police officer in the room, please don't raise your hand. It'll be embarrassing. They are. Police are interesting to me. I'm going to be honest with you. I try to always be honest. Sometimes I do not like seeing the police. I don't. So that's a terrible thing to say. Back to the blue, Pastor. Back to the blue. Oh, I do. I back the blue, and I love the blue. I love police. I've got friends in this congregation who are cops. I love it. I think you're great. Sometimes I don't want to see you. <laughs> like I am one of the most, the biggest supporters of the, that that thin blue line. I love the police, but there's one moment in particular that when I see the blue and the red. Right behind me. <laughs> when that moment happens, I do not want to see the police. That which I once loved, I now despise. I think to myself, look at these bureaucrats. Got nothing better to do than to come after good citizens like me. I'm a, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I'm a man of God. And I'm very busy. And I have to get home quick because my Chipotle's getting cold. So when I see the police, sometimes I am not happy to see the police. <laughs> wow, you too, Gene. Wow, okay, all right. <laughs> Confession booth is in the back, my friend. All right. <laughs> now, when you see the police <laughs> going after a bad driver who's cutting in and out of traffic and hurting people and scaring people, you sit there and be like, oh man, that's great. So in the same moment I hate seeing the police is the same moment you love seeing the police. Why? Matter of perspective. As much as I hate seeing this, I got to tell you what I really love seeing. When my family is in danger, somebody's broken into my house and they're threatening my children, this is what I want to see. That's what I want to see. Now, in that scenario, there's some people that don't want to see that. My children want to see that. I want to see that. But there are some people who don't want to see that. They're the people who are attacking the innocent. Do you understand? That's exactly what Jesus is saying his second coming will be like. When Jesus comes back, there will be a vast amount of people in the world who are terrified at the fact that Jesus is coming back, and there's going to be a very small minority here like, thank God, he's finally here. When your world is falling apart, understand this, he will not leave you defenseless. Listen to me. 
Look up. Look up. Number one, look up. Secondly, he says, look around. Look around. The first thing he says in the midst of tribulation, whether that be historic, Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 AD, prophetic, what takes place during the future tribulation period, or immediate, what's going on in the end of your world right now, he says you must do this. You must look up, and then you must uh, take a look around. Look at what he says in verse 29. And he spoke to them a parable saying, look at the fig tree and all the other trees. When they are already budding, see and know for yourself that summer is near. For you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. He says, look up, also look around. Hey, friend, listen, can I ask you a question? Can't you see what God is doing in the world right now? The first thing is to get your head out of the sand and look up. The second thing is for somebody to come alongside, pat you on the back and say, look around, do you see all this? Now Jesus gives a metaphor or a parable or an illustration to explain this concept of look around. Look at what he says specifically in verse 29. When he spake unto them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the other trees. What does that parable mean? The fig tree. Well, that may be difficult for you as an American, me as an American 2,000 years later, but it was not difficult for the modern Israelite during this time. It was a symbol they understood, the fig tree. If I were to say to you, if I were to say to you, I'm going to tell you a story. Let me tell you the story. I was standing on a beautiful river that led into a lake. And I'm up in Alaska, and all of a sudden, a bald eagle flying over the lake came down near me. And it landed And it looked at me, and then it took off, and as it took off, a lightning bolt hit the eagle, and the eagle died. You're you're very smart people. I look at you and say, what do you think that means? What would you think I was saying? What's the symbol of the bald eagle, and what nation does it represent? What would you think I'm talking about? You're like, oh man, are you saying that God's going to come after America? That analogy would be obvious to all of you because the symbol of America, one of them, is the bald eagle. Jesus says, let me tell you a story about a fig tree. The fig tree was the national symbol of Israel. This is multiple times through multiple prophets throughout the Old Testament. On Monday of this same week, Jesus goes by a fig tree and he stops and he looks for figs and he says to his disciples, there's no figs, I'm going to curse the fig tree. The next day when they walk by, the fig tree is completely dead. It's all a metaphor, an illustration that symbolizes the end of Israel. So what he says is when trouble and tribulation come, look up to God. But number two, look around. First of all, look at the fig tree, the nation of Israel. And then he says, look at all the other trees. Well, if the fig tree is the nation of Israel, what do you think all the other trees are? Yeah, all the other nations. Jesus' metaphors are not that difficult to grasp if you understand the culture and the time. Jesus said, you want to know when all this takes place? I'll tell you when it all takes place. Keep your eye on the fig tree. And then watch what all the nations do related to the fig tree. For those who come to church every week, you know 
all I've been doing is teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Luke for almost two years. And we happen to come to this passage at this moment. Say, what do you mean keep your eye on the nation of Israel? For the last 100 years, we have seen the nation of Israel head into the spotlight like never before, where the world's attention and focus is on it. In 1948, we see that Israel was declared a nation. The recognition of the Jewish state, the nation of Israel, after their war for independence from 1947 to 1949, and in the midst of it, the United Nations steps in after the atrocities of the Holocaust and all of these individuals having very little place to go, they were given back their rightful land that had been given to them by God himself through their ancestors. They arrived, and they had, when were they kicked out of that land? By the Romans in 70 AD. So after 1900 years, the world recognized Israel needs their homeland back. This happened in some of your parents' lifetime. This is not hundreds of years ago. There was no nation of Israel as it, as it relates to the land, but 1948. So when he talks about this idea of the earth will be in distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring like all of the nations of the world fighting each other and foaming. He's not just saying look at Israel, he's saying look at all the nations. And that's what you see in World War I, don't you? Again, the 20th century. They called it the war to end all wars. This was the very first war that nearly the entire globe participated in. War when you study it, is not what war was then. We go from World War I, uh, and we thought the war that will end all wars, but it did not end all wars. All it did is hit a domino that led into the fascism of Germany, the fascist not, uh, Nazism of uh, Hitler and his regime in the Third Reich. And once again, the, war, the world was at war. Never had the world seen anything like this. And once World War II was over, we almost immediately went into a third type of war, the third, what we call the Cold War, fought in between proxy nations by superpowers, red versus blue. In your own lifetimes, you'll remember the rise of what we call the War on Terror, or the rise of Islamic extremism that's taking place not in one singular location, but locations all over the world. War. Even now you see major superpowers like Russia moving their forces into the Ukraine. And what many say is the next step when China will then move their forces into Taiwan. And America cannot stand by because of the resources the United States needs in the land of Taiwan. War. And then this last week, you see once again Hamas, a terrorist organization, beginning to attack the nation of Israel. All of this was prophesied. All of it. Do you see? Yeah, we have a lot going on, don't we? Because we got the stock market we got to look at tomorrow, and yesterday the, fo the, the football games. And 
And today, the football games. Sorry, college. Thank you. So what does he say in verse 25? All the earth distress of the nations that with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. What does, this all pol- what, what does all this political perplexity mean? He answers the question in verse 31, verse 30 and 31. When they are already budding, he's talking about the, 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 the trees. When you see the trees starting, when you see the nations starting to awaken in this way. When they're already budding, you see and know for yourself that the summer is near. You're not a foolish person. After winter, when you see the trees begin to bud, you're like, oh, spring is here and summer's coming. And when you see the nations begin to awaken in wrath, so also when you see these things happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. You say, well, are you terrified? No, because (laughs) I'm not afraid because it just means Jesus is coming, which is kind of who I've put my whole life into. Like, it doesn't worry me. Like, my whole life is for Christ and for his kingdom. Remember, God has not abandoned this world, and he will come again. See, that's his whole point. Jesus says, I'm about to die, get buried, rose from the grave. What's going to happen to you in 35 years is Rome is going to come and destroy. By the way, here are glimpses also of what's going to happen at the end of the world. Also, here are some messages to anybody who's going through a trial or tribulation in your own life right now. Here's what you need to know. You need to look up to Jesus Christ, and you need to look around and realize God has a plan. He knows what's going on. He always has. He always will. Now look at verse 32 because there is a complex thought that we must work through instead of just skipping it. Verse 32. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will in no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, what does Jesus say in verse 32? Jesus has given a sermon to his disciples. He says, all of this is going to happen. And this generation will not disappear off the face of the earth before all of these things happen. Well, let me ask you a question. Did all of these things happen yet? Yes or no? No, according to this. I mean, some might say yes. In fact, that's the view of those who only view this sermon as historic. They say, all of this is just describing when Rome came in. The problem is, there's a lot of passages in here that don't describe what happened with the Romans. Like the moon and the stars and the sun didn't change. The nations of the world were not perplexed. It was just Rome and, you see? And most importantly, at the very end, Jesus says, they will look up and see the Son of, Je- Son of Man, see Jesus coming in the clouds. When Rome was attacking Jerusalem, did everybody look up and see Jesus coming again? Yes or no? No. So I think Jesus' sermon is historic, but it's also prophetic. He's seen both. Jesus is coming Again, And so you say, well, then what does this word generation mean? Because if Jesus says this generation will not pass until all the, when is this going to happen? Jesus says, I'll tell you when it's going to happen. It's when this genea will not pass until it all happens. Genea. Genea is the word that we really need to look at. It's the Greek word that would have been written to express what Jesus said at the time. And the word genea can absolutely and often is translated this generation. But the word the genea also is related to the concept of genealogy or family group, tribe. I believe when Jesus says this generation will not pass away until all of this happens, in context and grammatically, he's talking about the family group of Israel. 
this family group will not pass off the face of the earth until I come again, which is the main point of the sermon. He's saying, when you go through tribulation, understand, God doesn't abandon his people. This people group is going to be just fine all the way till the end of time. That is true of the nation of Israel, and it's true of every child of God in this room. God the Father doesn't abandon his people. And that's why he says in verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will in no wise pass away. He said, this whole thing will fall apart, but I'll tell you one thing that will not fall apart. Here's what he's saying. One thing that will never go away is my word and promise to protect you. Now now look at me, look at me. I know some of you love history and you're thinking about the Romans coming and taking over Jerusalem. And I know some of you love prophecy and you're thinking about the end of the world. But I'm telling you, in the midst of your tribulation right now, his promise is he will never leave you nor forsake you. You need to look up and look around at the signs. Why? Because like Jeremiah said to the nation of Israel, God's beloved people, he said in Jeremiah chapter 33, uh, uh, go to the next passage there, Uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3, 31 and verse 3, the Lord has not appeared of old time saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness I've drawn you. Jesus says to the nation of Israel, I have loved you before you even knew who I was. And with loving kindness, I have patiently drawn you to myself. That's how God feels about his people. I cannot uh, understate this. Please don't miss the point. It's why God brought you today. The same way God feels about Israel is the same way God feels about you. He has always loved you before you even, he, you even knew who he was. And with loving kindness and patience, he has patiently been pulling you to himself. It doesn't mean you won't go through tribulations and trials. No, quite the contrary. That's what it means to be the people of God. But what he is saying is that you will sustain life throughout and there will be blessings of joy at the end. Don't give up. And so what he's saying about those who went through tribulation, who will go through tribulation, and who are going through tribulation now, he's saying look up, look around, and look inward. God does take care of his family. By the way, if you look at the nation of Israel, that's happened all throughout history. You study the war for independence of 1947 to 1949, and you watch the miracles that God did for the nation of Israel during that time. You look at the next war in 1967 called the Six-Day War, where in six days, the nations of the world came against Israel, and God, by his providence and protection, protected his people. And in 1973, when Syria and Egypt attempted to attack and take over the Golan Heights or push back the nation of Israel, God blessed them again with another great victory. Victory over victory over victory because God protects his people. And for some of you, you're playing this intellectual game. You're like, well, who is God's people? It's the same intellectual game that the demons are playing about you. Well, I mean, is God really right? I mean, does God really love you? Maybe you deserve what you're going through. And some of you have bought into that lie about your own life as if you deserve all this terrible tribulation. And what God is saying is, I will protect my people. God will protect you. 
Doesn't mean you won't go through difficulty, but you will come through difficulty. Number one, look up. Number two, look around. Number three, what was the last one? Look inward. You have to look inside. And that's what he says. Look what he says in verse 34. But take heed to yourself. Don't just look up. Don't just look around. Look to yourself. Look inside. Lest your hearts be weighed down. Have you ever gone through difficulty enough where your hearts begin to be weighed down? All right. Let's be honest right now. Are you ready to get real? How many of you in this room right now, you don't have to say what, but you can say, look, pastor, over the last 30 days, in the last 30 days, I personally have gone through something that I have really, really been tempted to be weighed down about. I'll be the first to raise my hand. I have, I can point out three things in my life that are weighing me down. How many of you are like me? Would you raise your hand? You've got some things? Okay, this is what he's saying. In the midst of your trials and tribulations, here's what you must do. Take a focused look inside and do not be weighed down. Do not allow that to happen. This lack of encouragement, this discouragement that you're going through, the danger is to do what this person does in Jesus' story. The danger of living in a place of discouragement rather than joy, look at what, he, what happens. Their hearts are being weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Do you know what happens when we go through difficulties? What we want is something to take our minds off of it. And so sometimes we self-medicate. Sometimes we just want something to, to stimulate our minds so we're not thinking about the problem. We put our minds everywhere rather than putting our minds and resting them upon God. And so we go carousing or we self, start to self-medicate or we fill ourselves up with the cares and the joy, uh, the, the things of this life that never satisfy. And he says, why do you better not do that? Why better not do that? Here's why. Because that day will come upon you unexpectedly. In the moment of tribulation, <laughs> don't, you, don't you get it? In the moment of tribulation, Jesus is going to show up. And when Jesus shows up, you don't want to have your head buried in the sand of all sorts of things. You're going. You want to be looking up. You want to be looking for him. The reality is some won't be paying, some whenever they came to 70 AD and the destruction of Rome, of Jerusalem by Rome, they weren't paying attention. Some during the tribulation period, these tribulation states, they won't be paying attention. And some right now, in the midst of your trials and tribulations, you don't, you're not taking time to see what God is actually doing inside of you. Instead, we try to mute what God is doing inside of us by getting our minds into all sorts of other things and eliminate it. Just keep the music flowing so I don't have to think about what's going on. He says, don't do that. Verse 33, for it will come as a snare upon all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth, like a snare, like a sudden trap, like an like a animal who accidentally triggers a trap and now it's trapped. He's saying that's the way the coming of Jesus will be for a lot of people, it'll be a surprise. Verse 36, but not for you. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. He's saying it to all three groups. To those that are going into the Roman occupation, pay attention and you'll survive this. He's saying to the tribulation sense, 
Pay attention and you'll survive this and go into the millennium. And the message is for you. This is amazing about the story of Jesus, this sermon. He's speaking to three different groups throughout history. He's saying to you, pay attention, look to God, and you will live through this. It's a matter of perspective. That's why the sermon is entitled, Look Now. Joy really is a matter of perspective. I remember when my wife and I were first starting this church, almost 20 years ago now, 20 years ago now. How many of you are in your 40s? Anybody here in their 40s? If you're in your 40s, raise your hand. How many of you in your 40s? Hey, do, you ever, do you ever make a joke about you being old? Yeah, you ever make a joke about you being old? You're like, yeah, I'm so old. And people don't laugh? I do that with my kids all the time. I'm like, yeah, because dad's so old. They're like, and I'm sorry, what? What's the joke? <laughs> Sam. Almost 20 years ago, we started Southern Hills, and, and when we did, um, I remember Heather and I were so filled with troubles and worry because we had huge expectations and major ambitions. And they were ambitions almost 100% for God, a little bit for us. You know what I mean? How many of you know what I mean? And every Sunday I would come in, we started the church, so there was nobody here. And at the beginning, 40, 50 people would show up in an auditorium. Ted and Julie, remember? And I remember, I, I, I would love those moments, but can I be honest with you? Sometimes I would despise those moments. Because I was thinking, I know where this is going. Why can't it get there? And so my expectations, my passions, my excitement, my ambition, it was so much in the future of what I knew could happen that I was not having joy in the, in the moment. No joy. Every day a battle, every day a stress, every day a worry. At any moment, it could all just fall apart. And in my mind, I thought to myself, when I get to a certain place, it's just every, all the circumstances are going to make it like, it's perfect. Like, now I'm happy. Now I can sit back. And what I imagined back then is where I am right now. And I fight the same discouragements and the same battle of depression and the same ambition and the same unmet expectations because now is not as good as what it could be. And so joy is just elusive right next, in my next step. So I went to a pastor's conference. I was 25, 26 years old. My wife and I went. We went to a, a big church. Now I look back, it wasn't a mega church or anything, but for us, it was like a huge church conference in California. And I went there and we, I sat in the third row. And I sat there and I took notes. Everything the pastor said, you gotta do this, I'm like, gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta do that. I'm writing it all down because we're gonna do something. I'm gonna get rid of all these troubles and these trials and these tribulations. We're gonna make it happen. And I can remember like it was yesterday, the pastor who ran that conference stopped me. Somehow he had learned my name. And he stopped me and he said, Josh, I said, yeah. 
He said, I heard what's going on in Las Vegas. You successfully planted a church. I said, yeah. And what I thought he was going to do is give me like three or four ideas of how I could become amazing like him. He didn't. He looked at me and he said this. He said, Josh, can I just say to you, I know you've got big things. God's got big things. But just try to enjoy the stage of ministry you're in right now because it's going to go by quick. And I can remember him saying it. I can even remember the words. But I also remember the feeling. I remember thinking, okay, yeah, but what's the real advice? Here's what he knew that I've, I'm, I'm coming to learn. That if I can't enjoy the trials and tribulations and the difficulties of that moment, I'm not going to enjoy the trials and tribul tribulations and difficulties of this moment. Nor of the next, nor of the next, nor of the next. Because what Job, our depressed friend, says is true. Man's days are few and full of troubles. Joy is a matter of perspective, even in the midst of tribulation. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching me this. Thank you for watching the Southern Hills YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe and hit the bell icon to be notified every time we make a new video. And remember, we exist to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Have a great week. Peace.